0: If you were not here last Sunday, I, uh, <laughs> I almost wish you were not here today. Because, because what I'm going to talk about today is a continuation of what we talked about last Sunday. And last Sunday we started a series where we're really talking about all the different questions and angles and issues regarding homosexuality. And transgendered and sexuality in general. And last Sunday, I laid the groundwork and I laid the foundation for the series. And we talked about last Sunday, especially how do we relate to the LGBTQ community? How do we actually relate? I said we basically got an A in our theology, at least traditionally, but an F in our relationships. And we got to do a whole lot better in relating to uh the LGbt community in, in more compassionate sensitive respectful ways and 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 we talked about how we all know people we have family members some of us we 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 have friends perhaps or coworkers whoever that that are uh that lesbian, gay, w- transgendered, what, whatever. And, and how do we relate to them? How do we get along with them? And, and we've, we have to admit we've done a rather poor job of that. We're known as, you know, homophobic and, and all, kind, all kinds of negative descriptions. So if you were not here last Sunday, uh, you may not be able to hear my message today in the right way. So because last Sunday I made all of this very clear that we have to do a much better job in our relationships and in being kind and compassionate and and loving. Jesus is our model. We talked about how Jesus said, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And so we we talked about all of that at length. So whatever I'm going to say today, please don't interpret anything that I'm saying today as being as, as throwing stones as being mean or or just uh, you know, unfeeling or unkind. I want you to know maybe you're here and you, you, you are gay, you're a lesbian, you, you have same-sex attraction, you're, you're struggling with transgender feelings, whatever. I want you to know you can be safe here. Church of all places should be a safe place for all of us where we can be honest about the realities of life. And, and what we're struggling with. So I can tell you, as long as I'm pastor here, I want this to be a safe place. And I will do my best to ha- allow no stones to be thrown around here. You, you can feel safe here. So this is not about gay bashing or trying to be self-righteous or anything like that, okay? So have I made myself clear enough? Okay, because I know that this is very emotional and very personal for many, if not most of us. So today, uh, last Sunday we talked about the relationships. Now we're going to kind of talk about the theology of it all the philosophy and the theology of it all. And I want to talk specifically about our sexuality. And as I said last Sunday, I want to give parents a heads up. If you have young children here, we're going to be talking very explicitly about some sexual things. And you may want to remove your young child from the room right now. I understand that. My personal opinion is that the younger they hear this, the better. Because uh, they're hearing it everywhere else. They might as well hear it at church. Okay, but that's up to you. Your discretion. So, I want to talk about sexuality. What is sexuality? What is gender? What does it even mean to be a man or a woman? Is it possible to be a a man trapped inside of a woman's body or vice versa? So, uh, let's let's grapple with some of these things and let's begin by looking at what Jesus has to say in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, I want to read Uh, a whole pericope here, a whole, like, section of paragraphs here that kind of fit together, okay? Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, the crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Have you ever thought about how these two passages are? One follows the other. The topic is divorce, and then immediately the topic is children, because so oftentimes it's the children who are who are the victims and the damaged ones in in a divorce. It's it's not by accident that that the story is placed right here in in this setting. People were bringing little children to Jesus. So let, let's let's kind of walk through this passage here. Notice a few things here. In verse 2, Mark 10, it says they came to test him. They came to test him. So we know right away that this was not an honest conversation. Would you agree that so much of the... Communication in our culture today is not real dialogue. It's not people really seeking after truth. It's just people arguing, testing each other, trying to shout down each other. It's just a hostile environment. And this is what Jesus was facing. These people came to test Jesus. They didn't really care about Jesus. They didn't really care about the truth. They just wanted a little snippet they could put on CNN that night and make Jesus look bad somehow. So this is what's going on. And then also notice in verse 2, they say the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then Matthew, over in Matthew 19, they record the same story and they tell it just a little differently. Matthew 19 adds, for any and every reason. So can, can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? And, and there were different schools of thought. Some made it harder to get a divorce. Some made it easier to get a divorce. And they're asking Jesus what, what, what he thinks about this. And, and, and Jesus says, well, what does Moses say? And they say, well, Moses said, yeah, just give her a certificate of divorce, make sure it's legal and you know, fill out the right papers and send her away. And then Jesus says in verse five, he says, it's because your hardness of heart that Moses wrote you this law. And he takes them back to the beginning. And in verse six, he says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Verse 7, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Notice how Jesus takes them back to Genesis, back to the creation. Jesus wants to give us a biblical worldview. He wants us to understand the world correctly. He wants us to be in touch with reality, the way God actually created things to be. He takes us back to creation. I've shared this with you over the years. Do you remember what the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview is? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Remember? So we're created We are created in the image of a good and beautiful God on purpose. We are designed. This is why we have love and relationships, and there's so much good and wonderful uh, things and awesome things about life. But then there's also the fall. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin against God. And and now we live in a, a sinful, broken, rebellious, confused, messed up world where we experience all kinds of brokenness and all kinds of pain and suffering. And so we're not what God intended us to be originally. So we have the good, beautiful creation, but we also have this horrible brokenness about us. But then the good news is redemption. Jesus comes and, and he, he reminds us and confirms that God does love us and he can forgive us and reconcile us and renew us. And then one day this whole world will be restored and you and I will have new bodies and we will live in a new heaven and a new earth. And so there is meaning, there is purpose, there is direction, there is significance to life. This is the biblical worldview. And it's vital that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand this. And and you are actually applying it and living it out in how you think about everything. And how you live every day in your life. There's no way you can really be a follower of Jesus and say, but I don't believe in the worldview that Jesus teaches us. I mean, how can you do that? Oh, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in what he teaches. I don't believe in the biblical worldview. How can you? That's not an option. And notice something else here. Jesus doesn't care about political correctness. He shocks his disciples. He says, this is God's intention for marriage. One man, one woman for life. Divorce is not God's will. Now, we know from Jesus' other statements elsewhere, and from the Apostle Paul, as he had to wrestle with this out in the Greek and Roman world, that that there are basically three God-valid reasons for, for divorce. And it's basically adultery, abuse, and abandonment. And so this is a hard saying. One man, one woman, for life, no divorce. This is a hard saying, and the disciples themselves don't like it. And they, they're they're wrestling. They take him aside to talk to him about it. And over again in Matthew 19, the parallel passage to Mark 10, it tells the same story. But, but Matthew's version says the disciples go on to say, if this is a situation between a man and a woman, it is better not to get married. Like a lot of people today, right? Well, hey, you know, let's just live together. Let's just do whatever. I mean, but what? Man, if you've got to make this kind of permanent commitment, really? They had a hard time accepting what Jesus said. And Jesus says, I know not everyone can accept this. I'm just telling you what God's will is, so deal with it. He doesn't really care about political correctness. So I'm going to say some things today that I know very well are not politically correct. And some of you may have a hard time with some of what I'm going to say. And what I want to encourage you is try and not get too emotional. Okay? I know this is emotional. I know it's personal. I know we have family, we have loved ones, but, and, and we, we dealt with the relational thing last week, but right now we're dealing with the theology of it all, okay? What, what, what is biblical? What is God's will? What does Jesus say? So let's try to reflect and think about these things and, and actually what's at stake here. And the final thing I want us to notice about this passage before we specifically talk about sexuality is our own hypocrisy, our own hypocrisy. Let's face it. And I stressed this last Sunday, you and I, it's so easy to fall into hypocrisy and have double standards on these kinds of sexual issues. We have no right to be throwing stones at anyone else. This is not about throwing stones. This is not about disrespecting or being mean or unkind to anyone. Because what Jesus says here about marriage and divorce, I mean, come on, we Christians have about the same divorce rate as the general population. And that's a shame. So how, how, do we, how can we even talk about the sanctity of marriage when we basically have the same divorce rate as everyone else? And I know that many of you here are, are, are divorced, and, but you've received God's grace, and you, you've received God's forgiveness, and, and God's, God's, God's justification because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. We need to have that same kind of compassion and, and message towards other people who deal with different kinds of sexual issues we look at porn almost as much as unbelievers and so when the LGBT community is so angry with christians and churches in general and they say you christians are a bunch of hypocrites look how you handle marriage look how you get divorced look how you do this and that and yet you want to talk about us a certain way and they have a very valid point So we really need to look at ourselves and be very humble about this, okay? So what I want us to focus on in the text as we think theologically about this is what Jesus says in verse 6. Notice what he says. At the beginning of creation, God made them, what? Male and female. God made us male and female. First of all, God made us. We're not accidents, it's not just like it came out of nowhere and here we are. God made us, and he made us male and female. I have two questions for us today, two main questions we're going to grapple with, and then we're going to conclude by asking, so what? And then you notice we're going to conclude with having communion today because I want to bring us back to the table, back to the cross, and realize that we are all sinners saved by grace, that we all need the mercy and forgiveness and love of Jesus, every single one of us. So the first question is this. What makes us a man or a woman? What does it even mean to be male or female? And then the second question is what's at stake here? What's going on in our society when it comes to sexuality and orientation and gender? Okay, so here's the first question. What makes us men or women? Being a man or a woman is a Is it a biological objective thing or is it simply a feeling, a subjective thing? Is it just a social construct that society has come up with? And in fact, there's really no such thing as just male or female, but maybe there's just, you know, all kinds. It's a whole spectrum, a a million points along the spectrum. and, And all this is just kind of made up by society. Some of you may remember, as I do, if you're a little older back in 1976 how many remember the 1976 olympics when bruce jenner won the decathlon i was 16 years old at the time and i remember and i was so impressed wow this big strapping man 6 foot 2 very muscular the decathlon 10 different events and and, and he just just rocked it all out and and he became instantly famous Almost worldwide, but especially here in the United States. He was an All American hero. He was called the world's greatest athlete, Bruce Jenner. He's been, since then, he's been married three times and has six kids. But of, but of course, what Bruce, now Caitlin Jen, Jenner, is most famous for is being transgendered. He or she feels that she's been trapped in a man's body all this time, and she's finally admitted to herself and to the world what she really feels. And so she came out and has received all this acclamation and affirmation, and she's no longer living a lie. And interestingly, even though she is now a she, uh, she's, she's still attracted to women, not men. So she's a woman now, but she's still attracted to women, but she's not a lesbian, and I'm like, and, and and I'm honestly, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm 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 not trying to be mean. I, I'm I'm just trying to understand it. Okay, how how does this work? How does it, how, how does this work? Before the primetime interview of Bruce Jenner, as he was then called. Uh, By Diane Sawyer on ABC on on 2020 and 2015 primetime interview many Americans never even had a conversation about these kinds of gender topics I mean it, it just we never even thought about these things and now it's a conversation that we have to have and the cost Here's what I want you to know the costs of getting this wrong Are very high For our children For society For our future the costs of getting this wrong are very high, and we're already seeing some of the price that's being paid. I'll show you a bit later what's already happening. So, what is sexuality? What is gender? Again, Jesus, keep bringing this back to Jesus. Keep bringing this back to the biblical worldview. What's our theology say? In the beginning, God created us male and female. Okay, what is male and female? It's something that is given to us, created by God. It's built into the very fabric and structure of of creation, of, of reality. So first of all, sexuality is a biological fact. It is not a social construct. Maleness and females are biological facts. They are not social construct. It has to do with the X and Y chromosomes. We, we don't have time to get into all the science of it right now, but, but all the major science books, although those will be quickly changing, as the gender ideology is now pressuring even psychology and psychiatry and the sciences, which you think would be hard and factual, they're being ideologically driven and pressured now. I mean, could you imagine being a, a scientist, a psychologist, or whatever, and trying to push back on any of these issues, you would just be slandered and fired, my goodness. So, But, but uh, until very recently, all of the major science books teach that if you're a male, maleness is in every cell of your body. You have XY chromosomes. If you are a female, femaleness is in every part of your body. This is a whole lot more than even just a vagina or a penis. This goes down to every single cell in your body, even your brain. Male and female brains are different. These are biological facts. However, the gender ideology that is taking over the universities and even sciences today are pressuring scientists to change this. There's a growing belief that your femaleness or maleness is something you feel inside and has nothing to do with your body. And what you need to do is transition. You need to change your body to bring it into a line with who you truly are, something that you feel inside. Now think about this, really. And I don't say this to be funny. I don't say it to be mean. I am completely serious and logical when I ask this. Why do our feelings determine reality on the question of sex, but on very little else? Our feelings don't determine our age. Our feelings don't determine our height. I could stand before you right now and say, I... I feel like I'm 25 and not only feel, but you know, I really am. I am 25, and you must start recalling you know, that, that Greg is 25, and if you don't say that I'm 25 years old, then you are a bigot. Or I could say, I, I feel like I'm 7 feet tall. In fact, I not only feel like I'm 7 you feet know, deep down really inside, I am 7 feet tall, and you have to agree with me, and you have to say, Greg is 25 years old, and he's 7 feet tall, or you will be slandered and labeled a big, bigot and intolerant. And, and you could say, well, Greg, Greg come on now. You would be totally justified in saying you can say you feel like you're 25 or you feel like you're 7 feet tall. But guess what, Greg? We're not changing your birth certificate. And you're not going to play in the NBA. (laughs) You're just not. Okay? You are a 59-year-old man and you're 5'11". That's the reality. Now, you can feel however you want to feel, but the reality is that. You see? Do you remember when Rachel Dolezal? Back in 2015, she was a chapter president for NAACP, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. She claimed to be black. She, but it became known that Rachel was not black at all. She was of white, European descent. And she looked you know, just dark enough that she could pass for being black. And, and when they found this out, they forced her to resign and called her a hypocrite, and all kinds of slanderous things, and and, and a lot of controversy. And and then finally she said, well, all right, I was born white to white parents, but I self-identify as black. And they said, oh, no, you can't do that. No, you're white. You're not black. You can't pretend to be be black. You're not really black. Well, how does that logic differ in any way? How does it really differ? If she feels black, if she wants to self-identify as black, why not, right? Again, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be mean. This is a real problem. When we start denying reality, we start, facts don't matter. And it's a, if we accept transgender feelings as reality, then why not accept transracial or trans age or trans species? You know, I always say, what's next? A few Sundays from now, when we look at Romans 1, we're going to get into what's next because our sinful rebellion against God is never satisfied. There's always a what's next. We just find new and creative ways to rebel against our Creator and tear down the the structures that He has built into creation itself. And we ignore these realities at our own peril because at the end of the day, you cannot really deny or change reality reality will crush you so this is about what's right and what's healthy okay in the beginning god created us male and female now a second thing gender is how we give social expression to that fact sex is a biological bodily reality gender is how we give social expression to that reality For example, gender expression means that men and women have traditionally dressed differently. Women tend to wear makeup and men don't. We have all kinds of cultural expressions to show whether we are male or female. And those expressions vary from culture to culture. And it's true that that oftentimes our traditional stereotypes of what it means to be a man or woman have gone too far. And have not haven't been healthy. They've been over, they've been exaggerated. But the problem today is that many are pushing to say that there are no gender differences that are rooted in biology. And whatever differences there appears to be, well, they're, they're just made up social inventions. They're just peer pressure from society, social constructs. So let's just do away with the very idea of male and female and gender altogether. Facebook. You're probably aware. Actually, had 70 some categories besides male and female on their website, and they finally it kept just growing and growing and growing as people said, "Hey, you don't have a category for me." And they, they they finally d- decided to simplify it by by just saying other. <laughs> so, so we're trying to break down and eliminate the very idea of gender today. the the The, the message is it's just a a social invention. It's a, it's oppressive. So let's do away with it. No. Science tells us exactly what Jesus told us. That we, And it's something we've always known, really. Boys and girls, men and women, are different. Really different. Not just physically, but also psychologically. Do, do, do you know that scientific studies show that girls and boys come out of the womb not only physically different, but psychologically different. For example, studies show that little boys will usually choose balls to kick around and throw, while girls choose dolls to play with. Girls prefer their mothers, boys their fathers. Girls like movies where they can look at the faces of people. Boys prefer looking at fast cars, racing around. And this is from the earliest stages. Women, again, this is average. Men and women are very much alike OK, you know, on the spectrum, you know, you have that like bell curve and, and men and women we're we're so much alike in many ways. But there's a little bit of an overlap and where it really makes a difference is on on the ends. OK, and, and so but generally speaking, women are more verbal, men are more action oriented. Just the other day, we were coming back from golf and there were four of us guys in, in the car and it dawned on me. We went like two or three minutes and nobody said a word. And, and, I, and I even said, "Hey guys, you know, I'm, I'm preparing my sermon, and, and you know, I bet I bet women, four women in a car, never go three minutes without talking to each other." And the other three guys went, "Yep, yep, yep." But us guys, we could go, we go ten minutes down the road, not say a word, and we're fine because we don't have anything to say. <laughs> Men and women tend to get different illnesses. Males are more apt to have ADD and dyslexia, where women are more apt to have depression and anxiety. And of course, again, these, these are the averages. But we're, and we're so much alike in so many ways. But these are differences that really show up in society. For example, studies have shown... I just found this out a few months ago, and, and I found this fascinating. Studies have shown, and th- this is peer-reviewed. This is one of the most solid findings in all of the, the, the social sciences and, and clinical psychology and all of that, that that whole field. The more egalitarian a society becomes, the greater the biological differences between men and women show up. And this runs totally counter to the gender ideology that that. I'll say the radicals, have, who are driving this gender ideology. They want to say, men and women, there's really no real differences, you know. We're really all the same. And all the differences have just come up over the the centuries because of the oppressiveness of of society forcing men and women to be certain things. But if you really just free up everything and give men and women equal opportunity and and, and really become egalitarian, uh, then, then we'll see the differences between men and women kind of just go away. No, they won't. Because men and women truly are different biologically and psychologically. For example, in, in Scandinavia, arguably the most egalitarian society in the world, they they uh, they have found that that the majority, the great majority of, of of nurses are women, and the great majority of engineers are men. And 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 why is that? It's because women tend to be more people-focused, and men tend to be more thing-focused. And so if you give men and women equal opportunity to choose whatever they want to do, the majority of women will choose this, and the majority of men will choose that. So what happens is is the the, the ones with this gender ideology, and they're trying to force this upon society, they will say, hey, 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 you have to have 50-50 in every career. You have to have 50% men in engineering, 50% women. You have to have 50% men and women in, in, in this this career and in this career. No. Unless you're going to force some men and women to do what they don't want to do. Because if you really have freedom of opportunity and let men and women do what they want to do, they will end up choosing different things on the average. So you might have 60-40, 70-30, whatever, and this one, that. It just all depends on what that That career choice is. So what's at stake here? What what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this is not about bigotry. This is about biology. This this is not about trying to be mean or discriminatory towards anyone. This is just about reality. What's real, what's true, what's right, what's healthy. It's not about being insensitive or mean to anyone. And I know there are a thousand questions. Well, what about this? What about that? I'm going to try to get to many of your questions in the weeks to come. Okay? Some of you have already been talking with me and emailing me. Well, what about this? How should I behave in this scenario? We'll try to get to some of those, those scenarios in future weeks. But we're thinking theologically today. Okay? Okay? As a society, here's what's at stake. I want to I outline a handful of things. One thing that's, that's at stake in our society right now is our children will be confused and abused. Our children, your children, my children, my grandchildren now, will be confused and abused. Many schools are already requiring their teachers not to refer to them as boys or girls, but simply as students. Because you don't want to oppress them by assigning a gender to them that may not be accurate because after all just because they have the body parts of a boy or a girl doesn't mean they necessarily are because you know you're going to actually give them sex education you know in, in the in the next few years and and so they might have to wait a while and think about it a while to decide if they really are a boy or a girl our children are be confu- being confused about whether there is even such a thing as maleness and femaleness. They're being taught the gingerbread person or the unicorn person. You can Google it and find out all about it. Where, where they learn that their maleness or femaleness, their body parts, has nothing to do with who they really are inside. And I mean this when I say they are being abused. There are all kinds of stories about families where the child is like six, seven, eight years old even, and then oftentimes nine ten eleven twelve years old, where they they feel like they're the opposite sex and 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 they might express this, and then the parents. You know they they want to do what's right, and they obviously love their child, and they go to the schools or they go to the psychologists, and and there, there's this growing mounting pressure today that if you're going to be a good and loving parent, you must instantly and immediately affirm your child, your nine year old, ten year old, saying that they feel like they're the opposite sex. So sure, you go ahead and you start calling them by the other pronouns, and you start letting them dress differently, and you even start giving them some puberty blocking drugs so so that you know they they can be appear like the 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 gender that they want to appear like and and there's all kinds of stories like this and 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 yet the the statistics show that 80 to 95 percent of of all the kids who ever express a discordant gender gender dysphoria issue will will grow out of it grow through it and process it and become very well oriented to their bodily sexuality if you just let them kind of grow through that and, and give them some proper guidance and counsel and, and, and yet and there are also a growing number here 's what I predict's going to happen as these numbers begin to increase, but it 's already been happening where uh, parents and and the doctors have t- transitioned a 12 year old child. And and to be the opposite sex. And now they're maybe 22 or 25 years old. And, and this young adult is angry at his or her parents. Angry at the medical community. I was 11 years old and you actually took my word on what I really am and want to be. and And you filled me with all these drugs. And now I'm sterile. I can't have children. And I'm all messed up because of these the testosterone or the estrogen and all this other stuff that you gave me and now my body's wrecked for for life and I want to transition back it's already happening I really believe it's a form of child abuse it really is people who have transition surgery are 19 times more likely to commit suicide and And again, that the advocates for this would have you believe that the reason for that is all the bullying that they get by society no, no no the the, the the real honest studies are showing that most of it is because they have a host of issues going on, and it's not because of of the the bullying. at least that's a minor part of it. So the second thing that's at stake here is toxic masculinity will increasingly damage men and women. We don't have time to to delve deeply into this one, except to say that many young men today are confused about what does it even mean to be a man. And our history is actually being rewritten that almost every problem that has ever existed in Western culture is, is, is because of evil men, especially white men who are, who have been oppressive and put women down and put other races down. And now we're putting, you know, the, the, the whole female gender thing down. It, it, well, first of all, this is historically wrong, and it is psychologically damaging to young men today. And it will make them lousy partners for women. I mean, women, don't you want a man who is healthy and strong and knows what it means to be a real man? And and, and men, don't you want a woman who is strong and healthy and who knows what it really means to be a real woman? We are so confused and so toxic about all of this. Thirdly, women's privacy and their rights will be be diminished. I'm sure you've seen on the news the last couple of years about the controversies over the bathroom bill in North Carolina. Transgendered boys can now go into uh, women's restrooms and locker rooms. And, and schools don't even have to tell the parents of the kids that there's going to be a transgendered uh, boy, for example, in the school shower with their daughter. And when girls complain about this, they're told that transgender equality trumps their privacy rights. And there's stories coming out, not only in schools, but in public restrooms and all of this, where, where this is being taken advantage of. And and it is wreaking havoc and and upon women. So ironically, some of the more radical left liberal women's groups are actually joining the conservative Christian groups on this issue because they both realize that this is detrimental to women's rights and privacy. It's it's interesting when you see two groups that are so I you know so different in their beliefs. Actually, partner together because they see what's really growing on going on and then in sports, you could just you can, you can just Google this, you can get on YouTube and find all kinds of examples of this. There are more and more transgendered boys entering into girls sports, dominating girls sports. Sorry women, you're going to be losing all of your medals because guys and, and there's, 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 uh, there's real stories of actually women getting hurt, especially when it comes to boxing and karate and things like that. Women really getting hurt by transgender men. It's already happening. It's going to get worse. And then fourthly, religious freedom will vanish. You may think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Canada and even some places in the United States like New York City, you can face a variety of penalties for not calling someone by their preferred gender. So now government can compel the words that come out of your mouth. They can control what you have to say. Freedom of speech is highly threatened here. These are four phenomena relating to, to gender that are already happening. So, what do we do? What do we do? First of all, as individuals, don't let them confuse you. Young people, young people, please realize we, we live in a chaotic, crazy time, and there are all kinds of voices out there. They'll want to take you away from God, take you away from, from God's truth for you, that there's male, that there's female. It's designed into every cell in your body, even into your psyche. Of course we have disorders. Of course we have, we have physical disorders. We have psychological disorders. We, we, we have all kinds of problems, and we all do. In one way or another, we all do. And the answer is not to just go with our disorders and exaggerate our brokenness but rather it's to find forgiveness and healing and grace. Happiness and healing come not by running from reality, but by embracing it. And then parents, don't don't let them force you. I'm willing to bet that most of you parents don't want your daughter coming home from school to say that a boy who thinks he's a girl is sharing the locker room with her. You don't want your son coming home and announce that he's gender fluid. Because he's been taught the, the gender unicorn and, and all of this kind of thing. He said, make your voice heard on these things. Model for your children what's, health, what's a healthy man or woman, and, and what healthy sexuality looks like. And then thirdly, churches, let's model truth and grace. Like our church, let's model truth. Let's model grace. Our society, as I said last Sunday, has framed the conversation so that it's no longer a conversation. You basically have two choices. Totally celebrate this gender ideology or be a bigot. Be a hateful, mean person. No, no. Don't let them frame it that way. There's a third way, and Jesus shows us this way. Let's speak about sex and gender truthfully, and let's make our congregation and our relationships Safe, respectful, where no stones are thrown. Again, if you are gay or you're transgendered here, Jesus loves you. I love you. We all should love and respect each other. This is not about bigotry. This is about not being hateful or mean. This is about what's real and true and good and beautiful. Let's model this truth and grace that our Lord Jesus displayed for us. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come and begin distributing communion to you.